I, I don't tend to think of myself as stuck on myself, okay? If you talk to friends of mine and they say, could you describe Max haughty and proud or hopefully not words that come to mind, uh, hopefully self-deprecating, you know, occasionally humble, uh, the butt of many a joke, uh, but, but not, not stuck on myself. But the, the thing is, despite that, I have this tendency to think about me, like not just a little bit, but a lot. And uh, let me, okay, for example, if I go to a wedding as a guest with Jenny, like not the pastor, I know I'm a pastor and sometimes I'm at weddings because I'm the guy up front in the robe going, marriage is what brings us together today, okay? But when I get to go as a guest and it's just Jenny and me, when we go and we sit down and I don't care if it's my cousin up there or, you know, the, 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 the princess of, you know... England. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. What am I thinking about? I'm thinking, man, Jenny looks great today. Or, holy cow, has it been that long since we got married? I don't have enough fingers left. Oh! Okay? Or I'm thinking, how long is this service going to be? Or is the reception food going to be? What? It's stuff about me. Isn't it funny? I, funerals, same thing. If I go to a funeral, again, as a guest, like last year, I had a neighbor that died, and da, 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 so I go, and I do the thing, and you see him in the casket for the visitation, and you're like, oh, death stings, man. Oh. And then, but you get to a certain age, this will happen to you, young people. You do the math. You're like, and so the last time I was like, that's like 18 years from now. If I were them, that's, I got 18 years left. I'm too young. <laughs> I'm too young to die, Lord. Annie M, Annie M, Okay. Christmas, another, another way in which this happens. I, I, I play like I'm nonchalant about the gifts. And so the kids will do the sorting and, oh, dad really doesn't care if he gets anything. But trust me, when all the gifts are allotted, I notice what's in my pile and what's not in my pile. And if my pile is not as big as any of the kids' piles or whatnot, okay, I notice. Um, the cha- chamber dinner, Chamber of Commerce does an annual dinner every year. And some, some years I make myself go, okay, and, I, and you have to wear a suit and tie and stuff. And, and, and I, like, in the mirror, and I'll ask Jenny, is this hair okay? Is a guy supposed to ask that question? That's not a guy question. Is this hair okay? Is my tie straight? And I'm, again, thinking about me, and really, why should I care? I mean, I'm, for a lot of those people, I'm not, I only see them once a year at the chamber dinner. And, when, you know, and so it's weird. Kids. Oh, another way this plays out. If you have kids and they turn a little snotty or they have an attitude or they're not grateful or whatnot, yeah. And then you do the thing of, how can you treat me that way? I am your mother. I am your father. I gave you the gift of life. You even have your own room. You should be more grateful to me. Okay? And, and you do the same thing, don't you? See, we have this tendency... We have this tendency to think about us, and it's sort of normal. This is how uh, Donald Miller puts it in his book, Blue Like Jazz. He says this, It's kind of like in that movie about a boy where Hugh Grant's character believes that life is a play about himself and that all the other characters are only acting minor roles in a story that centers around him. My life felt like that. Life was a story about me because, well, I was in every scene. In fact, I was the only one in every scene. I was everywhere I went. If somebody walked into my scene, it would frustrate me because they were disrupting the general theme of the play, namely me. That's that's how Donald Miller puts it. So how is it that on a planet with six billion people, 
we can be so me-centric. I mean, how, how does that happen? Now, if I were to sit you down at a coffee house and ask you the, the direct question, do you think you're the center of the universe? You would say to me, oh, of course not, absolutely not, Max, I don't think that. Um, but let me ask a more obvious question or give you an obvious answer to it. I'm killing things, okay? If someone was to actually be the center of the universe, if, the, if life revolved around someone, who would that someone be? Oh, wait, you guys have been in church a little bit. Wait, so if life revolved around someone, that somebody would be who? Oh, God, yeah. Let's wade into God for a minute. I want to I talk about God, and I want to talk about God's love in a way that hopefully will provide a context for you and I to ask a really good question about loving God back. And to do that, I need to take a little bit of a tour of the universe, real quick. So, you know, buckle up. Here we go. Okay. Let's say that you were in a rocket ship, and you could take off, and, well, we're leaving Nicholasville. Whoa, the Earth. Boom. Wait, go back. There's the Earth. Okay, there's home. Planet Earth. Oh, it's like a National Geographic thing. Bum, 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 bum. Okay, so there, there you go. There's where you and I live. There's where you and I live. Now, the next thing you're going to see is this is the Hubble Space Telescope. We know more about the universe than we've ever known before because of this one instrument. This one instrument has helped us figure out that we know about 5% of what there is to know about the known universe, and that's only the universe that we can see and know. We know a lot, don't we? Okay, so if you go out... You'll run into the moon. There's the moon. But here's a better picture of the moon. Uh, The United States has sent people to the moon. Russians have sent people to the moon. The Chinese so desperately want to get there. They're going to get there by 2020. But not to be outdone, NASA says, ha, been there, done that. We're going to go to Mars. That's the next planet out. Mars, the giant red ball planet. Mars has no atmosphere. So like sunscreen, it doesn't even work, okay? You know, just burn. Okay, that's Mars. Think Mars. If you go out a little further, you'll run into Jupiter. Jupiter is so big, Jupiter is so big that it's a thousand times bigger than Earth. Wait a minute. Can you even imagine that in your brain? I I can't even fathom that. Okay, a thousand times bigger than Earth. Jupiter actually is made mostly of gas. So if you took your spaceship there and tried to land you would sink into oblivion. There's nothing to land on, okay? Go out a little further, you run into Saturn. There's its funny uh, rings. Go out a little more, and you run into Uranus. And then Neptune, cool picture of Neptune. I mean, isn't that a cool color? Wouldn't that be a cool planet color? Maybe we should change our color scheme. Have you ever thought of that? You know, boo, Earth is now purple. Um, Okay, that probably wouldn't be so good. Uh, if you go out of the universe, here's, here's the planets in perspective. Do you see how little Earth is compared to some of the other players in our neighborhood? It's teeny tiny. Wow. Okay, go out a little further. Uh, keep going, keep going, keep going. Now, you can't see anything here, but something really historic happened on June 6, 1990. It was not when I married Jenny. It was not the first Iraq invasion of Kuwait. Um, this little thing, hold on, stop there. Can you see, can you see anything yet? Probably not. Okay. Oh, wait, you can. Voyager, this little piece of aluminum and scrap metal and stuff that we sent into space with a camera, got to the end of our neighborhood, got to the end of the solar system. And NASA freaked out and the scientists sent frantic messages. Quick, quick, turn around and take some pictures. And Voyager went, boop, 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 bo
Let's magnify it a little bit. That's where you and I are. That's earth. We sent something into space that got so far away and took a picture. That's what we looked like. That's even magnified. That's far, far away. Okay? Oh, it gets even bigger. Okay? The universe is a big place. So let's go out a little bit more. Um, Keep going, keep going, keep going. There, stop. You and I live in a galaxy. Galaxies are big things. Okay? So if this is the Milky Way, here's where we would be in relationship to it. Ding! In case just remember where we parked, everyone. Okay? All right? I'm gonna I'm gonna need uh, I'm gonna need a, a help. Okay, so uh, Josh, would you come up here and lend me a hand for a second? Uh, I'm gonna be the Milky Way. You're gonna be the next galaxy over. Okay, so if this represents a galaxy, and uh, Josh is gonna represent the next galaxy over. So take this tape measure. Keep walking. Keep walking. Keep walking. Keep walking. Stop. Perfect. Right there. Okay. So. Go to, the, go to the next slide here. Let's show them the next galaxy over. The next galaxy over is the Andromeda galaxy. Next one. So if you were to get to the next galaxy over, if this is the Milky Way, think of how big this is in relation to everything. You'd have to go that far to get to Andromeda. That's pretty far, isn't it? I mean, the only way we're going to get there is if we can figure out how to warp space. Oh, wait, that's like Star Trek. Yep. Okay, so... Um, keep going to the next few pictures. Hubble has actually taken pictures of more stuff out in the universe. See all those dots and flashy blinky lights and things like that? Aren't those stars beautiful? Those stars are amazing. Keep going, keep going. Oh, they're, oh wait. Those, those aren't stars. Those are galaxies. Okay? Our universe is filled. I mean, there are billions of stars in one galaxy. We're a little teeny tiny. I mean, did you saw how small we were at the end of our neighborhood? And our neighborhood is like a pin on this. And the next galaxy over is there. If Josh were to go to where these things are, you would need to turn to your right and walk nine miles that direction. Are you get, thank you, Josh. Are you, get, are you getting a picture of how big, ginormous the universe is? It's huge. It's absolutely huge. Why would God create a universe with over 350 billion different galaxies, most of which we would never know existed until we put the Hubble Space Telescope up around the planet? I think it's a giant billboard reminder of, hello, I'm very, very big. You're very, very small. Remember the relationship, big and small, okay? Galaxies far, far away, okay? I... In that context, okay, in the context of God is very, very big, some of you I know are like, that's, I can't even get my brain around that, Max. That's huge. It's big. Yeah. Which makes the claim that the Bible has absolutely crazy, insane. You know, you know John 3.16, have you heard of that? For God so loved the world, and the world there means people, for God so loved people that he gave his one and only son? Wait, the God who made all of that, this ginormous universe, on a scale which we can't even comprehend in our minds, that God, the big God, the ginormous God, actually cares about me? Little me? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And it gets even crazier. If you brought a Bible, open it to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15. Jesus actually tells us 
just how crazy God is and how crazy this love is that God has for us. And it's found in Luke chapter 15. And the context of this is real simple. There were a group of people, Pharisees, teachers of the law. They thought they had God figured out. They thought they had life figured out, okay? So um, they believed that there was a sliding scale to life, okay? And they thought that some people were on the in with God and some people were just on the outs with God. And that's how it was. And uh, sorry about your luck, you're on the outs with God. Only a few of us can kind of get in and we're in. And that's what they thought, okay? And Jesus, knowing what they thought, wants to correct this line of thinking. And so he fires off not one, not two, but three different stories. The only time in the Gospels he does that. So this is really important for him, okay? Boom, boom, boom. He talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And so we'll pick it up in chapter 15, verse 11. He says this, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Guy has two sons. Son number one turned out okay. Son number two turned out rotten. He was a rotten kid. I mean, imagine, okay, for those of you that are parents, imagine if your kid came to you at the end of the week when it's time for allowance and they said, hey, um, dad, mom, I, I really don't love you. I don't care if you love me. Can I have my allowance? Are you going to be really motivated? Oh, here, here's, tw- here's an extra 20. Come, Bill, get him an extra 20, okay? No, you're not going to do that, okay? So what this kid does is just insulting. And then that's the next couple of verses. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He goes off, he squanders the money, he gambles it away, and the kicker is, and no one would help him. I don't know if he had the ability to write letters or get word back home to extended family or friends. Hey, man, I, you know, I need some bucks. But he made friends and acquaintances in this distant land, and no one helps him. You know why? Because they were looking at his life, and you know what they were thinking? <sighs> you deserve that, buddy. <laughs> you totally paved that road, asphalted it, and the fact that you're there now is not a surprise. You deserve every bit of that. I'm not going to give you nothing. Okay? So... Verse 17, when he finally comes to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired men have enough food to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. He realizes, I've blown it. Not only have I blown it, even if I were to make back all of the money that I squandered and show up and give it back to dad, maybe with interest, that really wouldn't be enough to compensate for what I did. There is nothing I can do to make up for this. Nothing. And so he goes home. Well, his dad in this story is sitting on the porch watching him come from the distance. And the Bible says his dad was filled with what? His dad was filled with anger and resentment. You won't believe the boy. Look, look who's coming down the road. Get out here and look at that, you know. Is that what he said the father was filled with, anger? Ooh, the father was filled with a very long speech about life. Let me explain how life works, son. 
now that I have your attention. His father was filled with what? Love and compassion. And Jesus, in telling this story, it's very clear. The point's very clear. The father in this story is God the Father. Your heavenly father loves you, loves me that way. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, for how big God is, how powerful God is, he doesn't need us. It's not like he has some kind of cosmic therapeutic need. I just want to be loved by my creation. I mean, the Bible tells us in other places, the son, he's got like, what, a thousand angels all the time who are going, you're amazing, you're so amazing, we're not worthy, you're so amazing. I mean, does he really need it? No, there's no cosmic therapeutic need. Over the years, I've made assumptions about God. I've made assumptions about myself that these days I'm recalculating. One of the assumptions I've made in life is I don't think of myself as a rich person. I don't. I drive a 1998 Mercury. It was a dollar car purchase. It's, you know, it gets me around. It's comfortable, but it's you know, 12 years old. I don't think of myself as rich. I don't. And a few weeks ago, I came across this little thing that said, if you make $4,000 a month, in income, you make a hundred times more than the average person does living on the planet. And I started getting things into context, and I was like, so, like, from God watching everything play out, I'm rich. And I started reading stuff in the Bible a little differently. When it started talking about rich people, I was like, ooh, I have the potential to be like that. I have the potential to think that way. I have the potential to have that kind of mindset and make those kind of decisions. Another th- assumption I've made is when I read through the Bible, I, I assume, like, Jesus tells the parable of the four soils, right? There's four different kinds, it, hard, rocky soil, soil that's got weeds, you know, seed that's planted there. And I always think, I assume I'm the good soil. I just make that assumption. Well, of course, you know, I'm better. And you know why? I do the sliding scale thing. I know I'm not Mother Teresa. I mean, nobody can be Mother Teresa. There was only one Mother Teresa. And then there's the missionaries that sell everything to do crazy stuff. You know, at least I'm a church planner. I gave up something somewhere along the way, I think. Okay? And then, and then, you know, and then there's all those other people. I mean, they don't even, they come to church, you know, occasionally, and they don't even care about God. So I'm better, you know, sliding scale. But you know, the funny thing is, there's not one mention in this book of a sliding scale in terms of how God views stuff. It's the weirdest thing. Here's the question, and here's where I want to bring it. If God is really, really big, and his love is absolutely that unfathomable and that crazy, given what God has done for us, what is an appropriate way to love God back? Is there a way to love God back in a way that it's appropriate for the way he loved us? Um. For those of you that have been following Jesus for a while, maybe you, you know, gave your heart at a Bible camp or something, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, here's the first question. Are you willing to say to God that he can have whatever he wants? Would you be willing to? I mean, th- think about it. The God, I mean, you saw how big the universe was. That God actually cares about you, cares about you enough that he became one of us, became one of you, one of me, and he died in our place. Um, here's another question. Do you believe that your commitment to him is more important than any other thing else in your life? Do you believe that? And look, the solution isn't to try harder. I know that, you know, okay, fine, I feel a little guilty, Max. I'll try a little harder this week. Eh, pff, don't, don't even worry. It's not about trying harder. It's about letting him change you. Letting him change you from the inside out. That's the way to go. Um, 
a few years ago, this couple, Justin and Elizabeth Leonard, uh, they felt like God was calling them to go halfway across the world because they believe that God actually loves everyone, not just people here, but people over there. And, and they sold their house. They got rid of their stuff. They had, they had the perfect American life. They, they, had, uh, they had a beautiful home. Justin was an engineer, made good money. The home, Elizabeth kept an immaculate house. I mean, they were the consummate couple living the good life in America. And they literally gave it all up. And, you know, at the time, people from his work, people looking in their lives, you know what they would say? You guys are crazy. Wait a minute. <laughs> They're crazy? I think our definition of crazy is crazy about what's really crazy. Last year, there's a guy, last year, a guy in California, he's single, didn't have a family. He, he, he was uh, thinking about this whole thing about God being big, loving God back in a way that was appropriate. He did something crazy. You know what he did? He sold his house and moved back in with mom and dad. And you know what his friends did, right? You know what they said to him? He gave the money away. You're crazy. I don't, wait, I don't think he's crazy. I think my definition of what's crazy is changing. And the solution is when you let God change you on the inside out, crazy things will start happening. I think it's crazy basically to give God leftovers. I mean, we do that occasionally, don't we? I mean, we throw him a few dollars at the end of the month or we'll serve an hour or two and we think we're doing him a favor. But if he's really that big and he loves us that much and he's done so much for us and eternity's much longer than now, it, it actually makes sense to love him in a way that you don't hold anything back. That's what makes sense. Um, I want to I pray for you and pray for me. This, this is what Francis Chan says about this. He says, nothing in this life matters unless it's about loving God or the people he's made. And I guess on this Easter Sunday, I wanted to give you and me an opportunity to basically say to God, you know what? It's crazy that you love me. It's crazy what you did. I'm going to have open hands and I'm not going to hold anything back.